ओम नमो भगवते वसुदेवाय ओम नमो भगवते वसुदेवाय ओम माय बाउ टू द लॉर्ड वसुदेवा हेलो फ्रेंड्स आई एम टॉकिंग अबाउट द भगवत गीता चैप्टर टू एंड a little bit further on in this chapter it says i have thus explained to you the i'm sorry my sight isn't as good as it ought to be i have thus explained to you the ultimate wisdom of shankya now hear the wisdom of yoga i'd like to talk about these different philosophies there are six basic philosophies in india but three of them are the most important shankya yoga vedanta and if you want to epitomize what each of them stands for shankya talks about the need to get out of delusion the need to get away from duality the need to seek a higher truth vedanta describes what that higher truth is infinite um omnipresent etc and yoga tells you how to get there most people think of these as uh, conflicting philosophies but they're not they're all part of a basic system we must understand that the bhagavad gita was born in uh, a very ancient tradition the vedas are thousands and thousands of years old people have tried to uh, denigrate them because they wanted to say that the english and the western civilization was more important and there's a very interesting book that the orobindo ashram put out it's uh, called the invasion that never was and the whole idea of the uh, people in india being an aryan invasion and the dravidians and so on this is an absolute myth and uh, the western thought that the vedas are fairly recent and nothing but a bunch of uh, poems written by cowherds speculating about the heavens and so on this is nonsense sri bindo wrote some very insightful uh, books on the subject he showed how tamil for example which is con- was considered a dravidian language has its roots also in sanskrit and he showed how the meaning of the ancient words has changed this is something that the uh, shankaracharya of gowardhan math in puri uh pointed out also that he he said that uh, um the when the vedas give you the mathematics of ancient times the literal translation according to the modern knowledge of the meaning of old words came out like in the reign of kongsha there was bloodshed pestilence and famine well that has nothing to do with mathematics but he meditated on it deeply and uh he was a very learned man and he found that in fact uh, the it was a very good mathematical formula they had simply lost the meaning of the words orobindo pointed out for example that when they spoke of cows and the vedas are full of cows and you, you think it must be a cowherd kind of society then but he said that that the ancient meaning of go which is cow is also um um light 
In fact, some friends I stayed with in Arizona who were devotees of Aurobindo, they got a letter once to dear cows of light. Anyway, the thing is that the, the uh, Vedas are a very deep scripture and in our modern understanding, trying to read the translations or if you know Sanskrit, even trying to read the Sanskrit, they don't make an awful lot of sense and the English came in there with dirty boots and just mucked the whole thing up. But the interesting thing is that the, all the ancient people who are more within our time range say that the Vedas contain all knowledge. And the summation of the Vedas is contained in the Upanishads. The summation of the, uh, of the Upanishads is contained in the Bhagavad Gita. So the Bhagavad Gita in essence teaches the entire range of Indian philosophy. And therefore, in uh, some of these chapters in the beginning where he's talking about the Shankya philosophy, he's sort of chopping it up a little bit. It's not one long logical sequence. For example, in the In the 26th and 27th stanzas, which I made the mistake of putting together, it says, even, however, if you prefer to think of the self as perishable, why grieve? What is born must die. Whatever dies must be born again. Why lament that which cannot be avoided? Now here, in one paragraph, but two stanzas, it uh, seems like a complete contradiction, doesn't it? I mean, first of all, if you think that the self dies, if it's perishable, then how can you say that whatever dies must be born again? But I've understood meditating on this that he's not meaning it to be a logical sequence. It's illogical. It's a non sequitur. But these are two separate stanzas and they're not a continuous argument. Each one is bringing out a part of this philosophy of Shankya. So while Krishna is trying to persuade Arjuna that he must do his duty and fight He's also trying to bring it out, bring out the philosophy of Shankya and the teaching that in this philosophy, the uh, um, different truths that it teaches, he has to crowd them all in here and somehow try to add them up as an argument for what he's telling Arjuna, which is basically, you've got to do your duty and the war that you're fighting is really not a physical war. It's against your own lower nature and your fear of destroying your lower tendencies, your fear that you'll destroy part of yourself, that you'll be less a man, less a human being if you do this. This is all uh, based on delusion. So Krishna's got that basic argument to follow, but he's trying to put in, as I read it, these different things that add up to the whole philosophy of why you need to get out of delusion, why you need to... Um, conquer your lower nature and claim your higher nature. And so there are a few non sequiturs here where on the one hand he's saying even if you don't believe in anything, on the other hand you'll go to heaven if you do this. It doesn't make sense if you follow it, just logically. The only thing that does make sense is if you think of each stanza as a separate thing, but also with, to some extent, a separate teaching. And so the first of these is uh, even However, if you prefer to think of the, of the self as perishable, 
why grieve? These stanzas at this point are ma mainly focused on why grieve, on being even-minded. You see, the nature of reality is daita, duality, and we must try to find that midpoint. As long as we grieve over the situations in this world, the deaths, the lives, the births, the sickness, the, all the failures, disappointments, and so on, all of these, if we grieve about them, we get caught up in the uh, storm of maya. So what Krishna is saying here, first of all, is calm your mind. Don't get excited. Just try to, until your mind is calm, you won't see things as they really are. So he's saying don't grieve, don't rejoice. Just be even-minded in the middle of these two opposites. Joy to you.